episode four of Crab Chats. You'll be hearing Krav Maga System Senior Instructor Kurt Copeland talk all things Krav Maga with the one and only David Khan. Through his many best-selling publications and DVDs, David has been a leading proponent for Krav Maga in the US and around the world. He received his advanced black belt teaching certification from Grandmaster Haim Gidon from the IKMA. He is also the only American to sit on the IKMA Board of Directors. David has also formally trained all five branches of the US military, the Royal Marines, as well as federal, state and local law enforcement agencies in the US. David shares some enlightening stories about Imi, the origins of Krav Maga and Krav Maga organizations, and his experience of best training practices and the importance of learning from a holistic curriculum. If you like what you hear, share this track around and leave us any feedback about the people you want to hear from next on the topics you uncovered. Hey, Gareth. Hey, David. How are you, buddy? I'm well, thank you. That's good. Uh, how's your life? Uh, I'm good. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, uh, we're doing a lot of uh, Krav Maga instruction. Um, just had a new book out uh, called uh, Krav Maga Professional Tactics. Uh, it was a bit of a monster. There are probably about a thousand photos in there. Actually, but you, closer to 954 once you you, you look at uh, each one of them. But um, the uh, the content uh, was about uh, three times as long as the first book I was fortunate enough to publish back in 2004. Wow. Um, yeah, we've got another book coming out uh, in June mm-hmm. uh, 2016, focusing on uh, what we believe to be the 12 most common unarmed assaults and Krav Maga's responses. Wow, that's awesome. Where did you uh, get that information from in terms of the 12 most common attacks? Well, it's a combination of thoughts and research in the sense that we all know that, uh, you know, usually upper body attacks are, um, they are uh, emphasized and favored. You know, people think of it of hand-to-hand combat as that, which is upper body work, but you know, obviously you can get kicked as well. And uh, we do a lot of police work. I've got access to some of the, the uh, police materials and, and what are uh, the reported assaults, aggravated, um, you know, common assaults, battery. So that's how we sort of came up with the list. And quite honestly, I, I believe that 20 years ago, it might not have been the same content, but with the rise of MMA uh, and takedowns, um, you've also got some examples of uh, texting and how you can be ambushed or what we call a negative five, which is courtesy of a good friend of mine, near my man. Well, you know, when you're caught unaware, uh, bear hugs, for example, um, you could be uh, tackled, sucker punches, and basically ambushed. Okay. I recently saw a list of the most common attacks in the UK. Um, I think number one was a push. Number two was a headbutt. Knee to the groin was also in the top 10. Are these being covered or is it a bit more sophisticated? Included. I might have one one insight. Uh, the push is the um, the the number one focus of this um, this fifth book. There's some grabs and everything else in there as well. The headbutt is definitely in there. I think um, on the on the European continent and then perhaps maybe even Australia, you know, the UK, uh, because of the prevalence of uh, what we call soccer, you guys rightly call football, um, that. It, People are much more attuned to heading balls and then, you know, they can headbutt other people, uh, a la the, the great uh, footballer uh, Zinedine Zidane, I believe. <laughs> uh, 
but in, in the U.S. it happens too. So it's in there. Um, and I, I actually, I, I could look at, I have a, um, a galley copy. I should look at the order. I'm a little bit, a little bit tired after teaching today, but, uh, anyway, yeah, those are definitely in there. Knees to the groin. And of course, one of the most important things that we all teach and, um, know you're the same is proximity. Yeah. Me, anybody within five feet is a potential threat. Yeah. And obviously, situational awareness, not to put yourself in that position where you can be headbutted or kneed in the groin. Absolutely. You know, much less take it down. You know, all those, all those uh, kinesic indicators, I call them. Okay. David, you're, you're pretty much a mover and shaker of KM in the U.S. You've been obviously doing a lot to promote Krav Maga, not only in the, in the United States, but throughout the world. Can you tell me how many books and DVDs you have? Sure. Um, we have, uh, as of June 2016, uh, this coming June, uh, we'll have five books out. The uh, The fourth book, uh, called Krav Maga Professional Attack, as I mentioned a moment ago, actually hit number one on Amazon.com, uh, in the U.S. at least, for a bestseller, and is one of the top new releases. Congratulations. That must be an amazing feeling. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm quite honored, and, and it took my terrific partners, um, you know, principally the two guys on the cover with me, um, Ronaldo Rossi, uh, one of the best instructors I'll ever know, he's trained with me now for about uh, eight years, and Don Melnick, um, who's also my other partner, who's trained with me about eight years now, and both of them have gone to Israel to train with Grandmaster Jaime Don. Don is the big guy with the goatee, correct? Uh, he is getting kicked in the groin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ronaldo, you can't Lucky see his guy. face because I've got my finger in his eyes, but you know, <laughs> hey, good Krav Maga, things I like. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know, David, some of the guys that I train with, they act like uh, you're a legend of the land and they call you the Khan. Uh, so, <laughs> I should, I should be you so, learned a nickname over here. Yeah, that's, that's funny. I should be so important. And I, I can assure you one thing that I am not, I repeat, not a legend in my own mind. <laughs> There's always you know, somebody better. And, and to, on a serious note, um, I'm definitely not uh, the best, but I've been trained by the best. Okay. And, um, you know, if, if you'd like me to explain a little bit more why I say that and how that, um, you know, sort of came to be, I'm, I'm glad to, you know, elaborate. Absolutely. Please do. I notice that when you're talking about the books, you're talking like you're, uh, you're coming from a collective um, rather than saying I, you're saying we. Uh, I assume you're talking about IKMA? Sure. Of course, uh, Grandmaster Gidon um, is, uh, you know, obviously everybody is, is, is loyal and there's so many great instructors out there who came from EMI. Um, but I do, I do truly believe that EMI saw something in Haim uh, to pass the torch. Some of the tactics which you'll see in the, uh, the Krav Maga uh, weapons defense book, uh, it's the third book, the fourth book, Krav Maga professional tactics, and even in this, this fifth book, are developments that Hayam instituted in the Krav Maga curriculum, which Emi in his last few years approved formally. Okay. And what is not generally known is that Emi sat there in Hayam's gym, the original gym, uh, you know, when, once the IKMA, uh, well, Emi was semi-retired. In other words, he didn't have his own gym. Hayam mm -hmm. um, developed these tactics, and Emi nodded and approved and said, this is what I believe Krav Maga should go. This is the way it should be. And the reason it's not so well known is IKMA remains small uh, for a number of reasons. And a lot of the senior instructors left to create their own organizations. And um, I'm not saying one organization is better than the other. Obviously, I believe in my, my original organization. But, you know, there's some fundamental differences. And, and, and I think the most important difference, uh, and for those who have seen the videos, they'll excuse my sound effects because we all have different ones. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
is the Retzef, which Amy had talked about, but Chaim has perfected in some way. And that is just simply an overwhelming counterattack, which is seamless. And there's no uh, choreographed motion. It is brutally efficient. And it either uh, takes advantage of a, an opponent's vulnerability. In other words, their guard is down. You've created some uh, anatomical target you can hit or you create your own. Um, and the other thing that we do, which we don't, um, advertised publicly are a number of feints. Okay. Um, because to me, when I when I go to Israel, and I'm, I'm lucky to really train with these top guys in the world, um, Chaim Gidon's sons, uh, Ohad Gidon, is truly, I think, the best in the world um, at what we do. Um, you've got Albert Gidon, who first trained me, uh, Chaim's other son, Noam, Yigal Arbib, all these names, Yoav Crane. These guys um, know how to fight in, in any capacity. And when you see two uh, of the top uh, IKMA black belts going at it. It's a question of, of the Retzef is already going, it's continuous motion. It's a question of who lands the uh, debilitating blow first and then follows up. And I liken it to the analogy of a um, semi-automatic automatic weapon that can go fully automatic. Okay. So you're placing that initial shot and then you put it on full auto. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, we emphasize, uh, you know, vulnerability. And, and as I get older, um, my, my students should have joke. I'm 43 now. Yeah. <laughs> I've, gone through a, <laughs> I've gone through a couple of hip surgeries. I tore both my hip sockets. You know, obviously, it was Krav Maga related, and I, it took a while to bend. But um, my, my biggest um, emphasis is on uh, – I, I, I emphasize a great deal of sidekicks, precision sidekicks. Okay. Um, but not so precise that if you hit somebody with part of your foot, not necessarily the optimum part, the heel, you won't do damage. Because as all good Krav Maga instructors know, you know, it's a question of initiating, damaging, and continuing to damage as quickly as you can using the most proximate weapon to the most proximate target and uh, taking care of the threat and neutralizing that threat immediately. Absolutely. You, with the mention of Retsep, I was actually going to bring that up, David. And um, <laughs> you've, you've told us why it's important, but can you tell us how everyone can really learn and apply it regardless of where they train? So I know that some organizations don't actually teach this concept. No, they don't know it. It's just that simple. Okay. Um, again, this comes, this is, uh, you know, I, I will not say that, um, I, I, well, actually, let me put it this way. I will say that Haim Gidon trained, uh, changed Krav Maga with the concept of the Retsef, following through what Amy thought. And the idea is it has to do with weight shifts and what is what is optimal at that fraction of a second that you need to move mm -hmm. and we chop them high, we chop them low. It's not a series. It's very uh, difficult for people sometimes to understand the difference between a series, you know, a kick and punch or elbow and knee combination and Retsef. Uh -huh. And we teach the Retsef at the um, end of the yellow belt level. And the reason I say the end of the yellow belt level is you need to know how to uh, deliver uh, optimized combatives. And I did not understand that until I, I started one of 30 plus trips. I've actually lost count to Israel. And Chaim um, quoted much like Emi that every strike, every combative, every movement, you know, true to Krav Maga's uh, economy, emotion, evolution, it's got to count. Yeah. And so I would rather deliver superior um, combative upper body, lower body once and then be prepared to pursue other ones versus doing it multiple times to have the desired effect. Okay. And. That, of course, is in line with economy of motion, but also uh, Amy fought multiple people all the time. Yep. And I had a very interesting, um, really uh, a life-changing um, Krav Maga interview for a second book that I did uh, called Advanced Krav Maga with Ernst Kovari. And Ernst Kovari was one of Amy Lichtenfeld's original students in Bratislava. 
Wow. And I did not know of Ernest Kovari until a gentleman walked into our New York studio at the time and said, there's a guy you ought to meet in Queens, and he's one of Emi's original students. Okay. I did not know his name. Uh, I was honored and privileged to, to meet up with Ernst twice. And he told me um, some very, very interesting stories, which I was able to publish in the second book, that uh, he said that Emi would have been a champion of everything he did. Uh, but the girls loved him, and Amy loved them back. <laughs> and it was quite an interesting insight because there was about 13 years between Amy and Ernst. Yep. So uh, uh, Ernst first met Amy uh, when he was very young. I think Amy was around 18 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 I mean, it was it was very very interesting. And actually, I had my, I had my date wrong because there's a picture of Amy which Ernst had with Amy um, holding Ernst above his head. But the reason I mention this is I asked him, because th at the time, I didn't define it as Krav Maga uh, until Ernst did. And he said it wasn't quite Krav Maga as he understands it, but it was the beginnings of Krav Maga. And it was designed, obviously, as everybody knows, to protect the Jewish community. Yeah. But, um, what he did say is that um, the, the Friday that World War II broke out, um, he and his brother, uh, Tibor, were uh, going to the synagogue uh, you know, to worship on Saturday, the Sabbath. Yep. And the Hitler Jugend were out in force, or the equivalent of the Hitler Jugend, the um, you know, the Hitler Youth. These Hitler Youth were prowling the streets, and they beat they beat up the baker Ernst and his brother Tibor had uh, trained with Emi at that point significantly, and so the fascists used chased both brothers into their apartment building, and the brothers beat up five or six. It was two against six, and the brothers beat them mercilessly. Given the Nazi theories of racial supremacy, this was not a good thing to get out. Um, it was um, suppressed, okay. and and the, these 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 German these Hitler Youth might be alive today. I have the names in the book, but what Ernst realized is that when outnumbered, you everything has got to count, and it has to be efficiently brutal. So the long story is is that uh, Ernst and his brother escaped, but the Gestapo came after them uh, right out of Indiana Jones. He says when, <laughs> when I was talking, he saw the movie with the. Uh, the uh, Gestapo uh, agent with the leather coat and the hat, if yep. anybody has a reference there. And uh, they were being chased up the stairs because they were onto the brothers. They, they, they were after them at all costs because of this, you know, humiliating defeat. And the uh, Gestapo agent had pulled out a, um, a, a Walter, to, a pistol to shoot them. And Ernest turned around and he was a, um, a righty, but he, he fought uh, uh, left side forward, as, as many of us do. And he turned and he hit he punched the Gestapo agent in the face with his left hand and knocked both of them down the stairs. And he and his Ernst and his brother Tibor escaped. <laughs> so it just goes to show you that, you know, the Krav Maga, it was meant, it was designed for those kinds of um, life and death situations. And that's why uh, Hayam, to me, when I first arrived in Israel, emphasized that the combatants have got to be very, very strong. And how that has to do with Retsef or, or the Nexus here is that we have got to make sure for our students that they know how to um, use the kicks properly. You know, we're talking about three basic kicks, the straight kicks, the side kicks, the roundhouse kicks with a shin, uh, their elbow work, their punches. Um, and just as an aside, I'm using my palm heel more and more as we teach. Um, we, we still teach the hook punches and the uppercuts. But, you know, as you know, as a, uh, you know, a great black belt instructor and, and you know, you're, anybody's listening knows, um, it is so easy to break one's hand against somebody's yeah, head. Absolutely. You know, we don't have our hands wrapped. Um, you know, I know there's a big Krav Maga organization that made a big deal of wrapping the hands. But again, this is based on realism. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to have your hands wrapped. So I, I still am a big advocate of linear attacks, uh, straight punches, palm heels. But we, we use um, uh, very short 
but uh, proper pivoting, uh, palm heels to the head, the ear, the mandible, the temple. Yeah. And, I, and I'm bringing all that up because you've got to have good, efficient, proper moving uh, combatives to do RETSIF. If you don't, it's not going to work very well. Okay. okay. My experience with IKMA, um, mm. it's been interesting. I've trained with you, Gal and Haim and some of the others. Uh, I'm sure you know Andrew Chan as well. Yep, yep. Andrew's a good friend of mine from Australia. Yeah. Bet. That's the one. And the training, the training there is pretty, you know, it's, it's definitely really cool and interesting. Um, I had a great time training with you guys. There's a lot, generally a lot more groundwork and techniques. And, you know, some, some people, some masters, even, um, you know, uh, just people in general would say that having too many options, option C, option D, option E is too much and too complicated. My, like a like a buffet menu, I guess. Yeah, my opinion is that um, I agree a little bit, but I also disagree to think that we're not always we're not always just so simple under stress. Uh, and from my experience, um, that's that's been demonstrated. I wanted to know what you thought about that. Sure. No, it's a great question you ask. And uh, when I was down in Brazil with Chaim, we were doing a demonstration on stage. And uh, Igal and Steve Moishi, another fantastic instructor, were showing. And my take is this. Um, Chaim realized that what had happened in the early, the late 90s, um, mid-90s, our stand-up was fantastic. But there were people coming from Russia, the Sambo, and some jiu-jitsu guys. And they were beating the Krav Maga instructors on the ground. I decided then and there that we had to learn to be proficient on the ground. What is probably not well explained sometimes is that we do not want to be on the ground. I want to stay off the ground at all costs. But if I am taken to the ground, uh, I've got to be proficient. What I put in the books and emphasize on these DVDs and the online program, which is about to launch in a week, incidentally, um, is that um, what we do standing, we also do on the ground, but with modification. Yeah. And we're talking about the standbys, you know, a, a, a thumb gouge to the eye, obviously attacking the groin, biting elbow tips to vulnerable anatomy. Um, but where it's changed is that if if you get a very good ground fighter that puts us in a rear naked choke and he gets his hooks in, we got to be able to get out of it. Agree. The way we got to be able to get out of it is know how to do it. Now, there's some lethal situations on the ground, which we don't publicize as well. And again, it's, it's known to very few people, fortunately. And I say fortunately because it can be abused. Um, one of the most important things, and, and it's quoted by different Krav Maga instructors that Amy said, is that certain techniques, and this is um, courtesy of my first instructor, Rick, Rick Blitzstein in Miami, uh, actually the first American in 1977 to do Krav Maga, is that some of these techniques are reserved purely for uh, the military and security. And the only other person that would have use for them is a criminal. Yep. And criminals have no place in Krav Maga, obviously. Absolutely. So to, to cleave to the matter at hand, um, I believe that there are about 12, I'm going to just go out on a limb here, uh, forgive the pun. Mm -hmm. uh, there are 12 uh, basic ground tactics, um, much of what I show in these books. The first one is not to go into the guard if you can help it, because again, we, you, anybody with any good common sense is going to punch somebody in the groin if they catch them in the guard, even if they pull them in. And if your posture is broken, we do the thumbs to the eyes. I'm waiting for uh, another Krav Maga book. It's coming out. It's uh, I won't mention names, but people will know it. And what they're doing is examining what we've just put out, and it will be modified accordingly. No way. Before. You know, we're sort of the beacon of it, and I will take full credit, not for me, but for Chaim. Um, the most important thing, again, is uh, in defending against a ground fighter. That's why we know all the armbar feints. We know... Uh, the leg locks. We know, you know, uh, uh, I, you know, for whatever it is, a crucifix. 
Um, to be honest, I, I prefer not to spend that much time. Chaim, he's, you know, he's been doing Krav Maga for uh, coming up on 45, 50 years. It's a uh, love of his now. Uh, I don't want to say it's a pet project because he's a grandmaster and he's done some amazing, amazing things with the groundwork. But the biggest thing is just learning, I would say, the fundamentals, the core and the most common attacks on the ground so that we can actually practice with one another at full force because, you know, obviously that's one of the benefits of, of the jiu-jitsu and, and, you know, some forms of judo uh, to be able to defend it. Jimmy had that, um, basically, he always said that we need to know the types of problems that we'll face on the street. The best way to understand the solution is to understand the problem. You said it. Well said. Yeah. Um, and, and lastly, um, Hayam had shown, Amy, I have seen film of it, some of the, the beginnings of the ground survival. And uh, that's what I call a ground survival is rather ground fighting. Uh, you know, and, and it's important simply because we want to survive and, and get up. Um, there's some, some stomp techniques, which I've, I've shown and modified a bit. Um, you know, it's built on Krav principles of 360 defense and getting off the line. But that's one of the fundamental differences in the way we ICAMA does it is when we do a 360 defense, um, we don't take anything for granted. Some of the Krav Maga instructors out there, uh, and I'm talking about the originals from Mimi, were big people. And you know a couple of them. And they could use their superior reach and their um, size to go directly at a threat. In other words, by bursting. You know from your training with Haim and Ego that they're the toughest people I'll ever know. Uh, and they're very strong, but they're not. I won't deny that. Yeah, but they're not tall. Yeah. So what we do, and we do it with the knife attacks, and that's where people by the hundreds, probably if not the thousands, have contacted us over me over the years, is they it makes sense about stepping off the line with a knife attack, either overhead or hook stab, even a slash. So that's that's one of the fundamental differences. And then we get a weight shift issue, and then you can kick and other things like that. So. Um, when people say, oh, you know, Krav Maga, this or that, I, I, I have a trademark because not all Krav Maga is the same. And people can read into that what they want, but it's not. Uh, there's some very, very good people out there. Again, I'm not the, the authority uh, on it. I, I wouldn't presume to be. Um, you know, these, the Israelis are the best. They created this. So, um, you know, <laughs> let alone some of the toughest people out Absolutely. I agree. I'm one of those guys that seeks truth and sees a much bigger Krav Maga without divisions and segments. And sure. um, I see that many of the organizations, at least the way I see it, have watered down the training. Trainees in places do not have like the real skills and attributes to call themselves experts or black belts. That's what I think. I kind of believe in a one Krav Maga mentality where, for example, takedowns and throws, restraints and controls, for example, are part of a general curriculum and not necessarily wrapped up into a box that says three-day law enforcement program. Okay. I, I understand that there's a need for the extra knowledge and the extra tactics, mm -hmm. but some places have completely taken away a student's most basic and easy to buy options the way I see it. I, I would agree with you, Kurt. I would agree. Um, one of, the, one of the, the points I've tried to emphasize, and I certainly did it in this fourth book, mm -hmm. is that um, Krav Maga was designed by and for serious people professionals in some sense, you know, who understand violence at its worst. I'll say at its best, I guess, if you're going to use it as a, as a tool. Um, the Krav Maga in America uh, is not good, yeah. generally. Okay. Uh, there are several instructors in the United States who I, I have great regard for. They don't do what I've been taught by Hayam. Uh, I can name, uh, for example, Ron Mizrahi in New York. I, I respect Ron. Another guy, Amir, Amir Peretz, tough as they come. 
Um, again, they're trained by different people. Um, Ron got training by Chaim Zut. Chaim Zut and Chaim Gidon were very good friends, are. Uh, but again, Krabaga has gone down some different paths. What I will say about that is that there is a correct way to do it, and then there's every other way. And people may take issue with that, but I can explain why we do it and how we do it. And I'll put our knowledge, at least I guess in my own knowledge, up against anybody at this point. Um, not to say that, uh, again, I personally, my skill set is better. It's just there's a reason we go dead side when we um, disarm somebody with a funnel uh, gun defense number one or, or the most, it's the most uh, well-known gun defense that we do as opposed to pinning it to the hip in the front mm -hmm. because you know he's going to attract the weapon. It's likely going to go off. If you hit him as your adrenaline dumps and you knock him backwards, that weapon, even though you might um, interfere with the slide, is going to be pointed against you. And another, it also has to do with third-party protection. Um, so the point is, is that if you do it incorrectly for something like that, which is less forgiving or forgiving at all, there's no latitude. You get killed. Yeah. So all these other people who come up with these defenses and say, this is Krav Maga, that's Krav Maga. And to me, the bottom line is, I would say this, the people who come directly from Emi, and there's a, um, a document of his that is, um, uh, is notarized by um, an Israeli notary. It lists the top belts that Emi gave out. And anybody that comes from these instructors and, you know, is awarded a black belt, um, we're talking about Chaim Gidon at 8th Dan, Eli Avizar is no longer with us, Al, Yanni Lev was given a 7th Dan, Chaim Zut was given a 7th mm -hmm. Dan. Anybody from those organizations is going to be legitimate. Yeah. And they're going yeah. to be good. And that's, that's, that's my take. And it's not to say they're exclusive. Um, you know, again, I've got great respect for the Israeli military, and uh, I'm, I'm a lawyer by training. I haven't had the honor of serving, so I, I, I'm very, very careful to show the respect that's deserved uh, for fighters. Um, but I do believe that uh, Krav Maga is, is synonymous with Amy Lichtenfeld, and um, not just because you want to call, you know, modified um, karate or taekwondo or any other system Krav Maga because it's going to get people in your door. Is that a fair say, statement, I hope? Absolutely fair. In terms of um, the history of Krav Maga, I know that you're really, really passionate about this topic. Mm. Uh, I, I want to clear this up, really. It, I believe that it's a fact that IKMA was uh, and still is, a very obviously, the th very first organization started by Imi. Mm -hmm. um, yet you see big names, um, I'm not going to say names, of course, claiming they're the, the world's first organization or the, or the most veteran organization. Yeah. And really, um, it pisses me off. The history is a history. So how in the world is that even possible that this organization is the first organization or the most veteran? Yes. Uh, as I understand it, um, IKMA is where it all started. And uh, in the U.S., it started with, uh, as you said, Rick Blitzstein. There, there were three and uh, in the U.S. And, and just to, to, to build on that excellent point, um, the Israel Krav Maga Association was once known as the Krav Maga Association, and it was co-founded by all these, these terrific guys, and they made the system better. Um, you know, so most of them are still alive. Ellie is not. He broke to create Krav Maga again. Yeah, you know, much of it is human nature. People can get along. Uh, the truth is that there was a vote um, with Chaim, and Chaim had the most students voting because it is a democratic organization. So Chaim Gidan, that is, was legitimately voted in as the president. Uh, Chaim, you've met him. You can make your own conclusions about how people uh, will gravitate towards him or not. Uh, I love the man. He's like a second father to me. Uh, but I understand the situation. And, you know, again, for, for the people who came from Emi as the top belts, I, I, I can only respect them. The situation in the United States is this. Um, there were three, I call them the three musketeers who came back 
1981, uh, and I've had the honor and privilege of training extensively with two of them. Rick Blitzstein was first introduced to the Krav Maga system in 1977 uh, on the Kibbutz Ein Harod. Uh, he was in Israel. He had studied Kung Fu. Uh, it's a great story. He was doing Kung Fu. Some of the kibbutzniks uh, were commandos through and through, saw him, said, hey, that looks interesting. Why don't you try something we do? They invited him to train with them. They beat the hell out of him. <laughs> he loved it. As they do. Some things change, some things don't. Um, so they beat the hell out of, out of Rick, and they saw that he had potential and the toughness to come back. And then, um, however many weeks later, he, uh, Rick was introduced to two older men sitting on a bench who asked him to do some movements, and one of them was Emi. Through the generosity of Daniel Abraham, a group of Americans, I believe it was 20, were sent to Israel on a full scholarship for six weeks of, of intense training hell. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, I talked to Alan Feldman, the other guy, he said that they didn't even think to bring arm pads and that Alan was so beaten up that he was taking um, hotel towels and wrapping them in duct tape around his arms. <laughs> uh, they stayed at the Green, the, I think it's the Green something hotel, maybe it's the Greenpeace Hotel. Rick and I visited that. Actually, there's a memorial to Emi, the Pencho, not far from it, with the actual uh, stack of the Pencho, which Rick Blitzstein arranged. Um, so Krav Maga came back to the United States and was uh, segregated into three different regions. Uh, Eastern region, okay. which was Alan Feldman. Central region, which was Rick Blitzkin, and Western region, which was Darren Levine. Okay. Wow. Going, talking a little bit about training, um, principles of Krav Maga is something that we really emphasize when teaching. Mm -hmm. It actually baffles me that a lot of Krav Maga schools aren't focused on this, and they're just teaching technique, really, little context. Yeah. The, the principles is the bread and butter of uh, Krav Maga. I would agree with you there. Um, and that actually hits the heart of maybe another question you, 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 you'll, you'll follow up. In, you know, so what is Krav Maga now? Is there old Krav Maga? Is there new Krav Maga? Mm. You know, Krav Maga, I think everybody would agree, evolves. Just how it evolves may, may lead to arguments, on a, even on a religious scale. I, I use it as a, as a sort of a, um, uh, you know, a, a pun there. But uh, the, the issue is, is it going to be... Uh, does it violate the principles or does it comport with the principles? And if it comports with the principles, it's probably good Krav Maga. Yeah. If it violates the principles, uh, again, like another book, and I, again, I don't want to sound haughty or arrogant, but I, I look at it closely. There's another very popular book that came out, uh, and the instructor, who I know well, uh, is doing a gun defense, and the it's a hostage situation, and the gun is um, behind his ear from the rear. Okay. And those who understand it understand uh, gun defense is that you always try to keep your any part of you, uh, you want to take the most direct path to eliminate that threat. So, again, picture this. Uh, if you put, if, you, if anybody's sitting there and they take their right hand and they put it behind their right ear, the logical thing is to try to get that gun moving backwards to the back of the head as opposed to pulling it across the head because you, you spend too much uh, time in front of that muzzle. Yep. Does that make sense? That does make sense. So there's a book out there where the, the instructor is pulling it right in front of his uh, head, and it violates the principles of Krav Maga because he's exposing his um, skull to that uh, muzzle for longer than he needs to do. So the point there is that if you can use your left arm to punch it backwards with, mm -hmm. with spin, it depends if, he's, if he has the hand. In other words, if he's controlling you, you may not want to do anything. Yeah. Uh, if it were written that this is a last resort, that he's got my other arm, then I could understand it. Okay. But it's not done that way. Sure. So 
Um, again, I, I, you can see that I get a bit passionate about what it is that I believe to be true. I've been taught by a man given the eighth Dan by Amy directly in 1996, and then he said ninth and 10th are coming. So I do, I do agree with what Haim has taught me. Um, there, you know, there, when you have a, a knife going for a, a lower body takedown, including an ankle pick, you know, when mm -hmm. the guy's got a knife, to me, violates the Krav Maga principles of um, obviously controlling the weapon, you know, simultaneous defensive attack. One could argue you're taking him down, but um, that knife is active. Yeah. So I wouldn't want a knife being plunged through my neck or through my back as I try to take somebody down. Absolutely. I remember in the old days um, learning, I asked one of the top masters uh, mm -hmm. whether, whether we use body defenses, covers and such, and he said no. Um, I was a little bit blown away because if there's a knife coming at you, um, obviously we want to create distance and use the 360, mm -hmm. create as much space as possible. But in the worst case, if I can't do that, I would like to know how to use a body cover um, because I certainly don't want to get the knife into my neck. Yeah. Um, and I know IKMA is very, very holistic with the training. That said, David, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to ask you a few questions um, from students. Sure, sure. Can I ask what, add one more thing? I'm sorry to cut you off. It's just important in that um, one of our training principles is that it's got to work against resistance. It's got to work against a non-compliant attacker. In other words, if with a knife, he's going to attack you repeatedly. He's going to retract that weapon, which is time in motion. And you cannot assume our take on the knife is that we're obviously we're going to use a body defense combined with a deflection or a deflection combined with a body defense. But the two are integrated. Yeah. So that's that's just uh, you know just just a, I think a point I, I should I should emphasize. So yeah, please any questions? I'm delighted. Okay, um, just going back to that, David. In IKMA curriculum, there is a fair amount of body covers, uh, head covers, bursting in, intercepting in this type of manner. Is that correct? Um, yes, yes, and no. Um, interestingly, when we're teaching yellow belt level, you know, and our hands are up. And one of the things in America I'm doing more and more over the years is that if your hands come up, if his hands come up, your hands come up, obviously it's a fight, it's self-defense, but um, chances are that if your hands come up, you shouldn't be fighting. In other words, it's from an ambush. If you're de-escalating, the hands are down. So that has to do with your question about whether I can do a body defense versus a parry or deflection. Mm -hmm. If we're if we're in a pure fight and I'm doing uh, the basic parry, which is taught in most curriculums at the yellow belt, in other words, it's just deflecting those incoming straight punches. Yeah. We do not use a uh, a body defense. We're going straight straight at it. We're deflecting. Yeah. Uh, there's too much movement involved there. When I use a body defense, is when I'm caught. Aside from uh, weapon defenses, knife that is, because stick would go straight through, um, or impact that is. Um, you you have to be able to move off the line. So we do combine both of them. Uh, it's aggressive. Uh, but we're always trying to get off that line attack and not take it because if our timing is off or the deflection is off, I don't want to be where that attack is coming, particularly to take it full force. Okay. Okay. Thank you, David. Sure. Now, I want to ask you a question from Joel. He is asking, you teach military Krav Maga, right? And law enforcement and whatnot. He wanted to ask you, what is the difference in the way you teach these things? The application. That, that is a great question. I'm actually, I've got this book in front of me here, so I can actually cheat with some notes. <laughs> um, there's a distinct difference between teaching uh, civilian law enforcement and military, and it has to do with the end result or the finish, so to speak. Okay. Uh, you know, Krav Maga, when it became a military fighting style, as Amy designed it, was meant to maim and kill as necessary. 
EMI then adapted it or adopted it for civilian use where the idea is, uh, I'm going to just get this page open here, but it's, it's a chart which we've created. And it's distinct in that the initial defense is the same for military law enforcement and uh, civilians. It's to avoid the attack, to defend it. For civilians, it's a question of then uh, disrupting the attack, mm -hmm. neutralizing the, the opponent, and then disengaging. Okay. So again, the order is civilian disrupt, incapacitate as necessary, disengage, call police. Law enforcement, disrupt, incapacitate, subjugate, and control, and if necessary, terminate. Yep. So again, you've got the first two um, points or bullets are the same, forgive the term bullets. <laughs> uh, and military is disrupt, incapacitate, or maim, and terminate. It's lethal force. And there is a great deal of um, confusion about this because many organizations um, teach military personnel law enforcement techniques, tactics. And it's fine if they're military policemen, but if they are operators, um, you know, work with tier one operators, the top guys, you got to teach them how to kill very quickly. And it goes back to the point about um, we, we train against resistance because all of these, these neck breaks and things like that where you see the, the head twisting in the movies yep. – uh, against, unless you put the guy limp with your combatives, your Etsif, unless you've got somebody very, very limp, you're not going to be able to do that tactic. So we've got three terminal techniques or tactics that we teach the military along with particular ways that we close. Um, but it's only for military personnel. We will not publish it. Thank you. Very insightful. Maureen is asking, I went to a school and the Krav Maga teachers said that I needed to be good at groundwork. Uh, basically, the new place that I'm training at, the expert told me that this is incorrect and the most basic groundwork is enough. I train here now, but when the guys really put pressure on me, I feel like the other KM instructor was correct. Mm. What do you think? Um, it's, I did answer it in part. Now, let me reemphasize that. Again, what we do standing, we do on the ground. The principles are the same, uh, defending and attacking. Uh, when you can on the ground, the most important thing is to try to create separation with your legs so that they can't mount you or take your back. Mm -hmm. um, remember, if he's in a kneeling position, you've got your lower body, which are the strongest engines, your kicks. You've got four limbs. If he's on his knees, he's only got two, so to speak. Yep. Um, the guard, we use it uh, in two situations, in their military situations, in their terminal. That's what it's used for. Otherwise, I wouldn't take anybody in the guard. And um, you, ha you need to know how to move on the ground and you need to know how to incapacitate somebody and get up very, very quickly and take on the next fighter. Um, you need to know how to defend against stomps on the ground. Again, get up immediately so that you can defend yourself uh, against multiple opponents. Um, so I, I hope that I've, I've, I've sort of touched on, on the question there. And, and there's some, just some very basic things that we emphasize for ground survival. Um, you know, hopefully you're not going to have somebody trained in MMA or um, jujitsu, you know, who, who understands how to take your back and choke you. Because there are guys, once they get their hooks in and they get clamped on you, you're not going to be able to get them off, save, you know, pulling out a weapon or a third party intervening. Okay. Well, last question from Abraham. I really want to learn Krav Maga, but not a lot uh, not a lot of Krav Maga where I come from. Mm. Can I learn Krav Maga from your products effectively? Uh, yes, it's a qualified yes, of course. And I, I'm, I'm a much better uh, purist. <laughs> and uh, in the United States, we do so much pro bono work than a businessman. But I'll try to be a bit of a businessman for a moment. Right. Uh, no, we, we, the, the online program actually is, is coming around. Uh, it's about 40 plus hours of training. 
It is 340 lessons, and it is about 90% of the IKMA curriculum. Uh, there are a few things that are, are purposely uh, left out, which is some of the uh, – the, the, we're not selling everybody short, but they're just certain military things and some other stuff which uh, needs to be learned in person. But the key with any kind of training, whether you're in a classroom, in my opinion only, or learning remotely, is to have a great training partner. Yeah. And that training partner has got to push you when you need to be pushed. That training partner has got to attack – uh, you know, under control or out of control, yeah. but to give you resistance. Um, the next key to it is if you're going to learn remotely is to actually get a few training partners because no individual uh, moves alike. For example, when we're teaching our classes, um, I insist that people change partners, although obviously you get people who want to work together, mm -hmm. uh, different heights, different abilities, because nobody's going to attack exactly the same way. And you need to uh, familiarize yourself with uh, every kind of movement. Yeah. And uh, even even that, there, there's something that um, you know comes to mind as well is that you know the visualization training. Uh, Kurt, let me ask you this: the viewers might find it interesting. And I hope I'm not digressing. Um, you're familiar with the phrase, you know, "I saw my life pass before my eyes." Absolutely. So the question is this: when 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 somebody says, you know, "I saw my life pass before my eyes," um, there's a pretty simple explanation, and I, I think you and I are on the same page. Uh, and it's basically your, your mind is. Um, your um, neocortex, the higher mind, is going through every single instance you can ever think of to see if you've been in a similar situation and relate what you would do. So the point is, is that when you're training remotely or even training in a gym, you need to uh, work with, with as many situations as you can both create to get a uh, the broadest possible uh, what if scenario. Now you can't don't you know the esoteric things. And Natalia, you'll remember there's a rope in that gym. You know, hanging from a rope and attacking somebody with a uh, an impact weapon or a knife. You know, Tarzan. It's, it's not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm getting at here is that you really want to um, to work all variations that you can. Um, though I will will say this: one of the things that we're also looking at, and, and I, I sorry I'm digressing, but there's there's a point here on this. Is that like for your for your listeners? One of the things I, I put in these books and these latest videos is that um, eighty five percent of the world population is right side dominant. It stands to reason if we're going to do this sort of statistically about what you would train at at home or on your own. Hence the the book, the twelve most common unarmed attacks. Mm -hmm. um, eighty five percent or more of those attacks are going to be initiated with the right side. In other words, you've got a righty, he's going to be right side dominant. And, you know, for example, if somebody grabs you with their left hand to your shirt and you can't avoid it, there's a very good chance that an attack is coming with the right arm. Yeah. But if you're grabbed with the right arm, perhaps it's just a, 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 um, a social violence situation where the guy wants to assert control over you, you know, using his strong arm to shake you and to, uh, to, to put a control. So, again, it has to be um, realistic training. And that means maybe dealing with the most common attacks. And I'm going to get another book out there, uh, <laughs> I guess, between <laughs> us and the readers on the most the 12 most common, uh, you know, other kinds of attacks. Um, so you got to have a really good training partner um, who, who will have control. Uh, you know, and at the black belt level for us, we have to be able to go 100% speed yeah. and nearly 100% power and not, not make contact. That makes sense. That requires a lot of training and a lot of skill. It does. It does. But one of the things that your 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 um you know your your listeners can do is if you practice it on a heavy bag, uh you can you can do you can simulate it on a person because when we do the red set, you'll notice that we're we're, we're stepping back and letting them, and we're doing full movements all the way through, but not making contact. Yeah. And it's really important that we train that way and not make short motions. So you can do it on the bag at home. Uh, you know, just don't hyperextend the limbs. You always got to keep a little bit of bend so you don't hyperextend. Fantastic. 
Where can we find these products, Dave? Oh, thank you for that. Uh, Amazon. Amazon ships uh, worldwide now. Uh, Andrew is, is a uh, Chan, if he's listening, is a, is a great uh, supporter. And I always send him a thank you note. I send like a good bar mitzvah boy. I send out thank you notes for everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> and Amazon and Mastering Krav Maga Online, www, uh, Mastering Krav Maga Online. And it should be available about two weeks' time for uh, the public. Um, there are three parts to it. One is the uh, dealing with the... Um, 12 most common unarmed attacks. The next one is dealing with the 12 most common armed attacks. And the third yep. level is everything that we do. So you get some options there. That's fantastic. We're going to place a link at the bottom of this podcast as well. So for the viewers, uh, make sure to check it out. It's really awesome. Uh, David, I want to say thank you so much. This has been great, um, very insightful. Um, you're extremely knowledgeable in, in the field of Krav Maga. It's really a pleasure to have had this opportunity to talk to you, mate. My honor and pleasure. And, and please, I'd love to do it again if you have uh, people with questions. Um, and anybody who's in the United States in the New Jersey area, you are a guest. You're, you're, you're um, welcome to come, courtesy of your sponsor here, Kurt. You're a guest. So come anytime. Fantastic. I hope to see you one way or another. You know, we'll have to find a, 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 a flight or someplace in the middle to get together and meet. That will happen for sure. Definitely, mate. Thank you so much. Good, guys. Enjoy your day. Thank you so much. It's really an honor to speak with you. Appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Bye-bye.